Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. I'm glad you uh, tuned in to us this week, whether you're on uh, terrestrial radio or you're listening to us on a podcast. Uh, either one is awesome by us. Uh, I am a chef owner of a few joints here around town, including Seatown Restaurant in the Pike Place Market area. Uh, certainly uh, Serious Pie Ballard and Serious Pie Downtown. We're right above Lola, which has been open for breakfast. I've been eating breakfast at Lola. You know, a lot of times people tell me it's their favorite breakfast in town. It's good. Our it's, sausage it's is really good. Eat, it's hard to eat breakfast at Lola and have the croissant with jam at uh, the bakery across the street. Yeah. And possibly grab a slice of pizza at the same time. That's a... You get that corner, my friend. It's really nice. Exactly. Pamela even talked about that in her open here today. Uh, you can come down, spend the night here at the beautiful Hotel Andra, uh, and you've got your meal service covered. Uh, if you want Italian, the Saggio is next door. Right. We're across the street for Dahlia Bakery. We've got Greek downstairs at Lola. it would be a fun little staycation. Absolutely. And you just be living within one block. Yeah, and the hotel's <laughs> got specials going on, so it's, it's a fun way to reintroduce yourself to downtown Seattle. Chef, we have to talk about our taste of the week. Uh, my taste of the week this week is a wonderful little curried chicken salad open tartine at Volunteer Park Cafe. Mm-hmm. I went there yesterday for lunch to meet a friend, and it was... Um, I've had that, I'm sure, like you, many times. It was just perfectly done, and uh, to my taste. Runny enough to have that feeling of you know great creamy dressing in there. My guess is it was buttermilk and... Maybe a little sour cream. Uh-huh. That would be my guess. Or maybe creme fraiche. I'm not sure. I didn't ask. Um, but beautiful, beautiful turmeric amount. Beautiful. Uh, the flavor in there was just, just perfect. Coconut milk a little bit. I mean, you could taste all those different ingredients in there. It was beautifully done. Mm. And a tartine of bread that was um, nicely toasted. It was, the whole thing was perfect. And the bread was not... A hard country bread. It was in between a white bread and a country bread. So it was, you know, the texture was just flawless. Huh. So I would Volunteer recommend... Volunteer Park Cafe. Volunteer Park Cafe. They have a... We, I talked to the uh, new owner. They have a new owner. And, and um, I told her we would uh, bring her on the show just to listen to what they have going on over there. Because it's very, very cute. It's a beautiful little neighborhood place. They have a great patio in the back. Um, but I was definitely impressed by the uh, light touch that they have. For lunch, it was a very simple menu, but focused, which was very cool. Lovely. And uh, a carrot cake, which I don't eat carrot cake every day, but I eat carrot cake when it's worth eating. Definitely worth eating. Wow. A little cream cheese frosting. It was flawless. Mm. Well, my taste of the week is chicken also. Oh. Uh, in my, you know, I do these evening segments for King 5 TV. And so this, this last week, their request of me was to do two dishes. You know, they're two different weeks, but two dishes made with leftover Costco rotisserie chicken. Because uh, the, the producer's wife loves Costco chicken. <laughs> and they buy it every time, but they're so big that they always have leftovers. So I made, uh, uh, using the karikari, or as they said, karikari, kari kari. Uh, chili crisp that we sell here at the hot stove. And it's in the marketplace now. The locally made one, Kari Kari Chili Crisp, which is not too hot, but it's got a lot of peanuts in it, super crunchy, big chunks of garlic, right. but that are cooked garlic, so it's not that raw, harsh garlic. Correct. And then, you know, so much of this and that, lots of uh, star anise. And, uh, but anyway, I just took that uh, 
leftover chicken breast that I had uh, because it's a five-pound chicken almost. Right. For $5, by the way. Uh, and um, just kind of slow roasted it, 250-degree oven, just kind of warmed it up. And then all I did was put that relish on top. I used it like <laughs> a relish. So I used that much. I must have used a quarter jar on that one chicken breast. It's got a little kick to it, too. Not really. There's not a, little, a whole lot of heat going on. No, no, but a little. Well, you're a spice weenie, but so it, yeah, it does have <laughs> that, that kind of heat. Yeah, you know, you, it's it's just the way it is. Yeah, I am a uni weenie. <laughs> a what weenie? Uni weenie? Uni weenie. You know, oh. like the sea urchin roll. It's not. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Not for me. So uh, anyway, it was delicious and as simple as could be. Any sort of rotisserie chicken from Met Market, from... Did you put that on top of Central a salad Market. or no? Uh, I did it on a stir-fry of uh, sugar snap peas and shiitake mushrooms. Ooh. And then I steamed some sticky rice with a star anise pod in it so that the whole thing was fragranced with that. Nice. Uh, you, I'm glad you didn't forget to mention all that because that makes the dish. <laughs> I did forget. You just talked about it. Coming up on our show today, peak of the season, we're going to talk about how to marry sweet potatoes with escarole. I don't think people eat enough escarole. It's a super easy thing to cook. Uh, you can eat it raw, obviously, but uh, uh, sweet potatoes and escarole combination. Two segments with Lisa Steele, who uh, has a new book out called The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. If you don't like eggs, this is the book for you because she does it in so many ways <laughs> you can that you're going to learn to love them. Uh, Bob Schnackel's request about uh, chicken balantines uh, preparation is going to happen right here. Which one is Bob. There you go, Bob. That's right. <laughs> Just didn't know your last name. Anyway, we're going to go through that process here right with Bob in the room. Uh, brighten up your winter dishes with quick pickled vegetables. You know, we, we often talk about pickled vegetables being a difference maker on your dinner plate. Absolutely. Uh, because, number one, you make them. Right. It's so much more fun it's than also opening a, a jar. I think it's a great cheater. You know, it's like it's easy to... Have that in your fridge already made, and you mm -hmm. just grab a handle of it and put that right on top of your salad, and mm -hmm. suddenly you just went to a different layer of flavor. We had at our cheese event the other night, uh, we had quick pickled carrots on our raclette with, uh, mm. with um, we had potatoes, cooked potatoes with shallot mustard and pumpkin seed oil, and then we had the raclette, the hot <laughs> raclette, we had grilled summer sausage and roasted zucchini with lemon oil, parsley, and quick pickles on top. And it just kind of made the dish, don't you think? The Brought it show, together, gave it a bright carrots. spot. Yeah. yeah, cuts through that richness of any dish yeah. really, really well. Super fun and easy. And, yes, it is nice to pull them out when you know that you've made them. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't want to go through the canning process, right? In a quick pickle, you don't yeah. have to do any of No, them. you don't have to can anything. And our producer, Sean, uh, made those carrots, and they were spectacular. They were spectacular. And lastly, today we're going to play at the end of our two hours uh, – Rub with love, food for thought, tasty trivia. Uh, they're brought to you by our delicious little uh, handmade rubs and sauces. Uh, you know, I've been using my taco spice a lot, my new taco spice, because one yeah. of the things my team tasks me with when we come out with a new rub is to create recipes using it. Outside, I like on the top of the jar, it says fish tacos. Right. Well, that's only one way, right? My favorite way so far, Swiss chard, sautéed Swiss chard. Where you normally would squeeze a lemon. You know, our rub is yeah, really yeah, lemony, yeah, yeah. citrusy. But it also brings up the flavor with the four different uh, mild chilies that are in there. Super good. I would love to roast a chicken with that. Because I think that's, that spice, that brightness of citrus in there would really, really be delicious yeah. on a crusty chicken. Who doesn't love a good lemon rosemary chicken? Exactly. Roasted chicken. Mm. All right. Uh, that's, for that, hang with us. Two full hours. We appreciate your time and energy that you bring to the show. 
you know, a couple of weeks ago, I asked people to step up to their radio and commit, put their hand on their chest and commit to only making delicious croutons cooked <laughs> to order. And I haven't heard anything. Have oh, heard there's anything? been a seismic shift. A seismic shift. Okay. Is it? Because <laughs> I had them last night at the Carlisle Room, and I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right, we'll be right back on the Hot Stove Radio Show, 97.3 FM. All right, we're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen right now, coming to you live with our radio show. Uh, Chef Thierry, this is our time to talk sweet potatoes and escarole. And uh, it's also a time to celebrate the fact that your wife has come to our show for the first time in 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, second time. Second time. Second time in 20 years. Second time. Uh, So we're thrilled about that. And apparently she would like to thank you for Valentine's... that did not include a magnum of champagne. Like last week you said you were going to open a magnum. It was a bottle. For breakfast and then drink Sip a little on bit it lunch. all day, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and I talked to... I a, guess we're getting called out here. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did not open a magnum. I opened a bottle of Bollinger. I think it's, it, was, it was delicious champagne. Okay. Regardless. All right. Sweet um, potatoes and escarole. Sweet potato and escarole. So I like them two combination because one is bitter, as you know. And I like to just do a quick pan saute of escarole, escarole, chopped shallots. I love to put, obviously, chopped shallots in there. And finish with a little dash of vinegar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very simple way to vinegar, do it. Does lemon juice work, too? Lemon juice works, yeah, too. Okay. But I like to use red wine vinegar. That's just me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I got so many vinegars to use. So, you know, don't always buy a lemon. Um, so, anyway, finish with that. And then chop it and then put it on top of... You know, like, for example, we were talking about baked sweet potato, which I think if you've never baked a sweet potato, you should just try this. It's a very hard thing to do. You take the baked potato, you take the potato, you rinse it off on the cold water and clean it up. And then you take it and you carry it to your oven and you put it in the (laughs) oven at about 350 degrees. You go watch a movie and when you come back, you get a beautiful sweet potato. That's not, I would say you're right. That's, that's the simplest <laughs> way to do it. I, I mean, I'm just I saying, I'm, it with I'm a simplifying fork, personally. The, say what? I would poke it with a fork. Right. Uh, the other thing when you bake a sweet potato is not like a, a white potato, like a russet. Correct. Because it's very wet on the inside comparatively and they want to drip and caramelize on the bottom of Correct. your oven. So just pop a little piece of foil. Under the sweet potato. Obviously, yes. Those different items. It's not obvious unless you've done it. Correct. I didn't say the obvious. So put it on the piece of, par- of uh, parchment or uh, aluminum foil. Uh-huh. But other than that, it's a very simple process. And then, and then what do you do with it? Then you spoon the meat out, and then you make this wonderful, like, two-to-one butter to potato, and um, you s- gently mix it together, cube little potato, uh, small cubes of butter mix into your sweet potato, and then you put that salted scarol on top of that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you end up with this nice sweet and bitter and um, acid from the vinegar. Makes a wonderful little lunch. A little vegetarian and lunch. You and you could use, on top of that, you could use some more lettuce underneath, um, underneath the whole thing and make a base, a salad base, you mm-hmm. know, if you wanted to. But it'd be, it'd be good with um, uh, a grain, like a, uh, if you were using quinoa, for example. I'm staying definitely in the vegetarian section. Pam is not excited at all, but that's okay. <laughs> well, let's talk to Pam because she's the one who uh, uh, told us, uh, blurted it out uh, triumphantly that uh, she eats more escarole than either one of us combined. I know. So, Pamela. It's true. Do you eat it raw? Do you eat it cooked? Mostly raw. And it's that, for me, it's that perfect point 
of uh, refreshing, crunchy green, but then not as bitter as some of the red radicchios, the the other things in the chicory family. And so I I reach for it often as a counterpoint to keep that crunchy element on the plate. And where do you buy it? PCC. They've got a wonderful supplier, big, gorgeous heads. Like, it's so pretty, I'm tempted to put it on as a centerpiece. But it's hardly a green. I mean, almost always, like two-thirds of the head is, is... what I call blanched in vegetables, like uh, yeah. Belgian endive or right. or things of that nature. Um, they're, where, where? They're, whoever they're sourcing it from, there's, there is a, a wonderful, highly colored green exterior. At the, but at then you get the into tips. the... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, when I grew up, we, the scarab was always covered with uh, burlap bags. Right. So it would come out white. So it's not quite as... Um, as bitter because the green is definitely the more green the more bitter you get out yes. of your lettuce so the white is a little bit less bitter and more tender in some ways so the, was, uh, when you make a salad with uh, escarole uh, it's nice to add some green like the baby spinach leaves or things of that nature if you're sauteing it you have to be careful because it turns gray really fast really fast and it's not very attractive on the plate so you, to me it's more of a wilt than a sauté. Correct. I right? agree. Yeah. Quick, Super fast. Yeah. And garlicky and you salty. Like garlic. My favorite is taking the garlic and doing this low and slow roast on it. And so it's crunchy little chips, garlic chips for it. Mm-hmm. Because it, when it's raw, it overwhelms the escarole. It doesn't, it's not all that flavorful. No, it, it, it benefits from the garlic for yeah. sure. Yeah. It would make a great um, gratin. You know, you just slice. No, I don't know. Explain. Sweet potatoes, butter. Oh, uh, escarole, the, yeah. sweet potato, butter, escarole, a little cheese on top, and then bake that in the oven. You'd have a wonderful little dish of sweet and sour kind of idea of, you know, or sweet and bitter, I should say, on your, um, as a garnish to any kind of meal you would make. Mm-hmm. Let's say you would do a, a roast beef or pork, you know, to use that as a side to it, like a gratin you would use as a, as a garnish. That would make a nice side dish. Mm. And, or it could be a dish of its own, but... I was thinking about the sweet potatoes that you made in Hawaii with the hard crust. Right. And, that, and I think it, uh, if you had blended in that chopped or julienned escarole with that, that would have been like... Right. The ones I did in Hawaii, I roasted, and then at the last minute, I stirred in orange marmalade to the Okinawa yeah. sweet potatoes. <laughs> but if I had taken that raw chopped escarole and then with the hot potatoes and just you know, let that That cook, would have been enough to yeah, warm it. Yeah, the es- escarole would have been yeah. a nice combination. Mm. This week, Melissa uh, Clark wrote about coating sweet potatoes with coconut oil mm-hmm. before the roast. Oh, wow. The problem I have with that, which is fine, but it's definitely coconut sweet potatoes. Yeah. To me, mean, it's when too you strong, coat with you butter think? or when you coat with olive oil, oftentimes you end up with a more pure sweet potato flavor. Because to me, coconut is just overwhelming. Mm. I mean, unless you want that in your profile. Right. right. If you puree the whole thing and use that as a base for a pie... <laughs> Yeah. That would be good. It would be good to have that coconut flavor. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar with cooking with, enough with coconut oil. I think that's, I think that's my, also my problem. Every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, that looks so rich. I'm like, whoa, butter. Yeah, to me it's more about the flavor, though. It's, you're adding right. a coconut flavor to your meal. And if that doesn't work in the profile that you're trying to accomplish at the end of the meal, which right. often it does, especially in Hawaii, uh, but uh, that's the problem I have with coconut oil. And it's so saturated. That is one saturated fat. 
use it sparingly. So you could cut it the if you wanted to layer it with the uh, roasted sweet potato, but then a harissa yogurt mm-hmm. in the middle. And then pomegranate and escarole on the top. Wow. Wow, my mind's exploding. Well, <laughs> Pamela does love a rainbow on a plate. I know. Yeah. Where is, but harissa yogurt yeah. and sweet potatoes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Really good. If you good. just take your leftover sweet potatoes that are, you've baked, let's say you go ahead and cook a couple extra so you have them in the fridge. Sure. Tomorrow night when you're making a steak on the charcoal grill, they just slice them into slices. They grill up. Beautiful. Oh yeah, they caramelize right. nicely too. Beautifully, yeah, yeah, just yeah. as a uh, as a round, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbecued sweet potatoes, basically. Yeah. So it's uh, they're already cooked. So all you have to do is mock them and give them a little caramelization on the outside. Yeah, they're beautiful. You could do it from raw too, but it's it's a good way to use up sweet potatoes. Next uh, segment, we've got uh, Lisa Steele. She's joining us. The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Uh, on the front, you know, it says. Oh, 100 fabulous recipes to use eggs in unexpected ways, but Eggs Benedict is on the front. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <You> <laughs> gotta... <laughs> that is an expected way. Although it's on toast, right? It's like a tartine. Expected way? Expected way, yeah. When we come back, that's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society show here on Cairo. Coming to you from the beautiful Hotel Andra in downtown, 4th and Virginia. Come down and see us sometimes. We have a live audience. Sometimes they're live. Today we have to prick them with a fork a little bit to get them, to get them going a little bit. So. Yeah, they were asleep this morning for yeah, some reason. Exactly. Uh, Lisa Steele is going to join us and tell us where she's coming from. She's the founder of FreshEggsDaily.com, and her new book is called The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Over 100 fabulous recipes to use eggs in Unexpected ways, <laughs> and uh, she was kind enough not to put "egg spected" uh, on the cover. She actually is a is a thoughtful, non goofy woman. Yep, she likes to use the language correctly. Yep. Hello, Lisa. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, if you would. And we've got two whole segments here, so let's uh, hear about your background and. Wall Street, Maine, and all the things that led to this particular book. Sure, yes. I grew up in central Massachusetts, across the street from my grandparents' chicken farm, and raised chickens as a kid, and just kind of, you know, lived out in the country. And then I realized there was a bigger world out there, so I went away to college and ended up working on Wall Street. And then uh, a couple years into that, I realized it was not for me. I did not belong in a cubicle. And so... Uh, long story short, my husband, he was in the Navy stationed in Pensacola, and so we got married. I moved down there, and um, then his last tour of duty, he was in Virginia, and we had horses. We had a small little horse farm. So we knew he was going to be getting out of the Navy, so not deployed anymore. And uh, it was 2009. It was a recession, and everybody was kind of sort of, uh, you know, looking at gardening, homesteading, and raising chickens, and I got back into it. Um, didn't really love it as a kid, I have to say. It just meant more chores. But as an adult, it's been really, really enjoyable. You know, chickens are just, they're great pests. They're, they're great managers for insects and all that. And, of course, they lay super delicious eggs. For five years, we moved to Maine. He retired for good from the Navy, and we moved to Maine. And we've been here and just love it here. And I 
raise my chickens and write my books. And I most recently had my cookbook come out. Well, congratulations. What fun is that, huh? Chef? I know. That, that sounds like a fabulous way to get here. Yeah. <laughs> we all have a bit of chicken history. <laughs> Pamela grew up on a chicken farm. Uh, no? It, it, oh, wow. I did. Yeah. And it, it was traumatic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> she still won't go near a chicken. Uh, how many, how many chickens yeah. were there on that farm? 10,000. Oh, I hear that a lot. Yeah, that's not so a farm. my grandparents, it's, no. it's different. I mean, they had the yeah. two-story two-wing chicken barn, the whole deal. But their chickens were also out in the yard. Like, they had a lot of land, and so the chickens were outside. And I remember playing inside the chicken barn, so it can't have been that disgusting. <laughs> but yeah. um, I think they did a lot of free-ranging. Yeah. yeah Jerry, we, you, we, had, you had chickens growing up. Yeah, we had, like, maybe 20 chickens running around the farm. They were definitely roaming freely. Those were definitely... In today's market, they'd be worth like a thousand dollars chicken just because they were so free. Yeah, <laughs> they, ate, they, ate, they ate the grain that you know the the wheat and the grain that we had uh, hanging around the farm, and then we'd feed them some more of that. Mm-hmm. So they were definitely they would be in the field. You, sometimes you would barely see their head, or they would poke their head up in the grass, and uh-huh. and then one my grandma would say. Uh, Go get me a chicken. You knew exactly what you were doing. You were going to get a chicken, so you have some lunch. Right. Two, uh, two hours later, you were eating. <laughs> you were eating the beautiful bird. <laughs> but those were, you know, those. That's, that was. That was just. Well, if you love eggs, you have to have a chicken, and I, whether it's I, yours or somebody else's. They they only come from. I mean, obviously, there's duck eggs. There's all sorts of eggs, but the ones that we know, uh, you have to get them from a chicken. Yeah, and uh, and if you've never had a fresh egg from a chicken. You owe it to yourself to drive somewhere where there is such a thing and actually experience that because that definitely has nothing to do with a five-weeks-old egg. So, Lisa, uh, I know at our farm we have 20 chickens. Uh, We take um, harvest about four or six at a time and then put new chicks in and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But we actually have the most expensive eggs in history my wife goes to Costco to buy Greek yogurt to feed her chickens. Uh, all, sorts of, all sorts of crazy stuff uh, to get the best eggs. What have you found as a chicken farmer and an egg aficionado? What is the word I want? Aficionado? Uh, what have you found that makes the best egg when it comes to feeding your chickens? Yeah, it definitely does make a difference. The taste of the egg, not only a fresh egg, but an egg that has uh, an egg, a chicken that has been out roaming around eating bugs and weeds and grass and our chickens eat all our flowers they eat our landscaping <laughs> they have a really varied diet and that's going to make for really delicious eggs mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely we- I believe that for human being too <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> diversified diet will get you somewhere a tasty bit baby yeah. keeps you healthy yeah. I think bugs are the real key uh, we use mealworms and uh, they, they love uh, foraging through the field. The problem with us is that we have dogs that like to chase chickens, so they tend to be in the coop most of so the time. So they're healthy and muscular They're muscular, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is funny to watch our chickens chase the cats away from the cat food. You know, we put cat <laughs> yeah. food out for the kitties, and the chickens will go up and peck them and take their cat food. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if you were to tell somebody, is it worth putting a coop in your backyard uh, for f- farm-fresh eggs, would you say... Absolutely, or would you say, uh, I hope you like cleaning poop out of the coop? <laughs> it 
definitely worth it, but they are not going to be the cheapest eggs that you ever eat. Like you mentioned, you know, your startup costs are going to be fairly high because you need to invest some decent money in a good coop that's going to be safe and not, you know, one of these kits that you buy for, you know, a couple hundred dollars. You, you really have to put some thought into that and a nice, safe pen for your chickens or, you know, something that's going to end up eating them. But, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely worth the, the expense and the time and the effort. Absolutely. Have you found anything in common with raising chickens and working on Wall Street? <laughs> <laughs> pickering, <No>. pickering everywhere. <laughs> yeah, not, not so much, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hierarchy of things. Yeah. You know, something took our rooster, and now you know, the rooster used to keep the hens in line uh, in a funny way. Mm-hmm. That's just a nature thing. And uh, uh, now that some, I think the badger took the rooster, and now the hens are just all over the place. <laughs> Chaos in the house. Yeah, roosters, people think a rooster is going to keep the chickens safe. And, I mean, a rooster is not going to be any match for a fox or a coyote or a badger or yeah. something like that. He's usually the first one to go, unfortunately. <laughs> Isn't that true? Because he's the one that attacks and gets eaten. Right. He, yeah, and he keeps the hens safe. Let's start, <laughs> let's start down the recipe way. We're going to move into recipes, too, when we uh, on our, in our next segment. But... Let's start with the most basic basic thing. Uh, Chef, uh, you have your way of making scrambled eggs. Yes. And let's start with I'm a Lisa big, and her way. I'm a big believer of scrambling. Well, for the, for the recipe we're talking about, which is a scrambled egg and caviar, basically scrambled egg put back into the shell, topped with creme fraiche and caviar, which is, as you know, very, it's a very old French way of starting a meal with a glass of champagne. I think it's a nice, oh, a nice little treat if uh, if you're on a date. If you make that the first time around and you make it successfully, I don't think she's gonna go anywhere. But that's just between. (laughs) Anyway, uh, yeah, the scramble egg idea behind that is to the traditional scramble egg is a slow cooked egg that is not boiled, that is just cooked gently on the bamary. In this case, it's the opposite. It's white foamy butter shallots, and then eggs that have been uh, beaten to a liquid stage. I I like to mention the liquid stage because many people don't beat them enough. And then cook that really, really fast with a whisk so you incorporate lots of air so it stays very, very airy, and you don't cook it too far because it will keep cooking as you put it back in the egg. All right, Lisa, what's your version? I mean, I do love that. No, I, I agree on the two points. Whisking really well to get a lot of air into those eggs. I know a lot of people add milk or cream to their eggs or even water, but that just makes them watery. So I just like just an egg whisked really well and then cooked very slowly, as he mentioned, in some butter. And sometimes I don't even add salt or pepper to them because the egg itself, just with that little bit of butter, is just so good. Mm -hmm. All right. When we come back, we're going to have another whole segment about different egg recipes from Lisa's new book, The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, 100 different recipes for making eggs your way. On Cairo, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. We're back in the Hot Stove Society kitchen on Cairo Radio. Yay! We're going to continue with our guest, Lisa Steele. Uh, is, uh, she's the go-to girl for backyard chicken keeping advice and also has a new book out called the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook, over 100 fabulous recipes to use eggs in unexpected ways. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to FreshEggsDaily.com. 
but Lisa, let's get in. Uh, we we talked a little bit um, at the end of the last segment about scrambled eggs. Uh, we probably put the egg before the cart, before the chicken. We should talk. How do you pick a fresh egg or the freshest egg if you're in a grocery store that's got about 8,000 packs of eggs in front of you? That uh, It's something that's very sneaky that the egg, the commercial egg farms do. You can just ignore the best buy or sell-by dates because those are sort of arbitrary. You want to look for the three-digit code on the end of the cart. And that number will be from 001, which is January 1st, to December 31st, which is 365. And that three-digit code tells you the day that those eggs were put in the cart. So today is like what, February Thank something. You. Yeah, it's sneaky, right, though? They don't tell you. <laughs> I actually had to buy eggs. Probably they, they don't tell you for a good reason. <laughs> okay. exactly, well, exactly, exactly. And then, I just went to buy eggs because I need them for cooking segments I'm doing and my chickens are not laying. Um, all the eggs that I saw were at least a month old mm-hmm. right? in the store. Right. And that's fresh eggs. Yeah. Wow. All right. Do you no. ever uh, have an opinion on sizing of eggs? Does it matter or is it just about freshness? Yeah, freshness does matter, I think. Okay, so oversized. It matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I tend to buy jumbo eggs so that when I'm baking, I get a little bit more fluff in my batters, my cake batters and things like that. So uh, that's just my own little inside thing. Yeah, I'm not sure the size. Okay, let's talk about some of the recipes in your book, Lisa. Uh, You uh, have tips for baking with eggs? I love to bake. Almost half the book is is, uh, sweets and recipes, you know, for for desserts and things. But, um, you know, if the recipe says use room temperature eggs, use room temperature eggs because if you're putting cold ingredients into your batter, it can have the seat, the fats in the batter will seize up. The eggs won't incorporate as well into the batter if they're cold. So it's, it's really important to read the instructions. And if it says, you know, cold butter, use cold butter. If it says room temperature eggs, use room temperature eggs. Perfect. And then what about when you're making an omelet? Do you have a strict strategy for making the perfect omelet? Omelets can be tough. I have to admit I did practice uh, for, you know, a solid week to make omelets. But, again, cook them slowly because you don't want – or not super slowly, but you want to not get them browned. You want to just kind of get that sweet spot where they're going to cook quickly enough that they don't brown, but not so fast that they, you know, they get the brown mark. And you want to use the right pan. That's the most important thing. It's got to have sloped sides and not be too heavy, you know, so you can actually hold it and move it around and um, get that omelet out of the pan as soon as it's done. Baked eggs. I saw a recipe, uh, one of your recipe in the book that looks really cool of uh, squash rings with mm-hmm. a baked egg inside. That looks really that Like looks a delicata delicious. squash ring? Or, yeah. yeah. And it looks really, really, uh, it's a great way to make the egg perfectly sized and baked that way and um, to have the uh, squash with it. What's the trick on this little dish? You know, that's a nice one, and there really is no trick, but I think it's a great dinner option when you want something a little more hearty, but you might be trying to eat less red meat, something like that. I just really love the way the butternut squash matches the egg yolk. It's just so bright and orange, and I think it's really pretty on the plate. And what about the uh, toad in the hole? I want to make it just for the name because <laughs> I want to invite someone over for toad in a hole. <laughs> What's that one? Yeah, 
That's, I mean, that's actually kind of fun. And it's, uh, you know, you put the sausages and, and your egg batter in, and then it just kind of all pops up. And, you know, I guess it's an old uh, dish from uh, England. And supposedly the sausages look like little toads poking their heads out of the ground. It's, it's an odd little recipe. But again, it's a nice dinner option. It comes together pretty quickly. And it's, it's going to be more hearty. You know, it would be good for a brunch or dinner. And would you serve it with the... Um Lime bourbon sour? <laughs> I would personally serve it with maple syrup and, and mustard, but yes, you can't, you can't go wrong with a bourbon sour. And, but it has an egg in it? The lime bourbon sour? Yes. Well, it has the egg white foam on top. So uh, the foam. Technically, it would be a breakfast food. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to breakfast at your place. <laughs> and then what if, um, I didn't find the recipe yet for the Finnish egg butter spread. What the heck is that? that so that's a, a, something that my grandmother used to make. And you're really just basically, you know, mushing a, a hard-boiled egg into butter and then, you know, use it on toast or whatever. It's surprisingly good, number one. But number two, I think it was a way for them to spread or to spread to kind of get more mileage out of their butter when butter was a little scare. That sounds you know, funny. I would have thought the opposite. Like depression yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought the opposite. More miles out of your eggs uh, than your butter. That, that's interesting. And we all, uh, everybody here is fans of olive oil cakes. Um, so we're anxious yeah. to try your new, your take on it, the orange brandy olive oil cake. Is it real? That's um, a really nice recipe. It, it comes together really quickly in one bowl, and that cake, you can just leave it out on the counter for at least a week, and it's still <laughs> going to be good. It's not going to go bad. It's not going to dry out. Yeah, uh, I, cakes I, don't last a week around here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear it's going to last a week. I'm like, where do you leave? <laughs> <laughs> okay, theoretically, it could last a week. <laughs> We sell uh, downstairs at Lola Restaurant so much hollandaise. Do you have a trick uh, for making hollandaise, a, a no-break hollandaise? You know, I, there, I did include different methods to make it in a blender. Um, I just like the traditional way over a double boiler, and it, it's just really kind of a practice-makes-perfect kind of thing and getting the timing down right so your eggs and then your English muffin, your your, your bread is, is done at the same time. Because, you know, once the holidays is done, you really kind of have to use it right away. You yeah. don't want it to be sitting around. But I, I do love just to do it over a double boiler. I don't know. I've tried it in a blender, but to me, that's sort of kind of cheating. I like to stand there and just whisk it. Work, work up a sweat. Yeah, and then also yeah. doing, it, do, doing it over the double boiler is a bigger security than your Hollandaise won't break because it keeps the heat at a level where it incorporates better. If you put it in the blender, it cools off. Mm-hmm. And then when, when you put it back on the heat, if it warms up, that's when it breaks. Mm. Ah, so you don't right. want a fluctuation of heat in your butter mm-hmm. and eggs uh, mixture. Lovely. Lisa Steele has been our guest. If you uh, want to make any recipe at all, just look at the one on the cover of the book, that rustic toast with a poached egg on top, which is an art in itself, poaching eggs. Uh, it looks like fresh tarragon, fresh hollandaise, uh, it's a very uh, yeah. delicious-looking book. Congratulations. We, yeah, congratulations. We appreciate the time you spent with us today, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. All right. The book is called Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Uh, if you go to um, fresheggsdaily.com, you can find more recipes. There's over 100 fabulous recipes in this particular book. Super fun.
meringues, macaroons, you name it. Eggs everywhere. Well, when we come back uh, in our audience, Bob Schnackel uh, is here, and he has got questions about Chicken Ballantine and uh, wants to challenge my thoughts on guacamole. <laughs> there's, a, there's a combo right there for you. I'm Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to hour number two of the Hot Stove Society Radio Show on Cairo Radio. Yay! My name is Tom Douglas. We're thrilled that you're here. We uh, are, have another full hour to go. Lots of good things to talk about, including our Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge coming up. Cooks Illustrated. I've been eating Bob's uh, guacamole, so I'm, my mouth is tingling with beautiful lime flavors. And Pam- I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Always pleasure to be with you, Always Mr. A Douglas. Good to be Every back Friday. in person. Yep. I want to give a quick plug uh, to Food Lifeline. As you know, or the, uh, the organization that helps people eat, especially the ones that don't have enough food to do so. Every year they have a fundraiser called Saver. That's at their annual fundraiser. And it will be Saturday, March 26th at the St. Edward's Lodge in Kenmore. So pretty out there. It's beautiful. So gorgeous. Um, if you want to raise money for a great cause or if you want to partake, partake in helping the population that needs to eat to satisfaction in this country, at least in this area. I would and get su- dinner. <laughs> and get dinner on top of it made by uh, four or five different chefs. Uh, each chef makes a different course. I would suggest you go to Food Lifeline and uh, inquire about Saver. It's a great, great fundraiser every year. It's very fun. So... That's a plug for hunger relief, please. I'm going to leave your next plug to the next segment. If yeah, yeah. So uh, let's do that because we, we won't have time for Bob. Pamela, right. tell us why Bob is sitting right in front of us at microphone number three. Because he's a, a devoted listener and had questions for the chefs about how to prepare chicken ballantine. And I said, just come in and uh, the experts will dig in. There you go. And then why did he bring – Bob, why did you bring guacamole? Apparently you uh, – you didn't like what I had to say about guacamole. <laughs> I, I like a lime-forward guacamole. I yeah. like adding cilantro. I like adding uh, tomatillo, a little bit of salt. Uh, I made it mild mm-hmm. because uh, Terry's not so No, it's actually, it's actually very mild. I can, I can take it a little bit higher than that. Okay. Well, yeah, great. Yeah. And just with the, uh, the whole thing that's going on in Mexico with the uh, avocado farmers, I figured this might be the last time we have some... Uh, some avocados <laughs> for quite a while. For quite a while. Uh, so I, I am a believer that guacamole is avocado, lime, and salt. And so that's, me too. I think, what Bob took a little bit of an issue with because he loves his guacamole. To me, it's avocado salsa, but yes. it is fantastic. Well, thank you. So that yeah. you know. I appreciate and he, it. He brought the Juanita chips to go with it, which is a good combination. So thank you for treating us to a little bit of greenness here this morning. A little vibrancy in the morning. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's perky. Very perky. No, I like the the lime. You were not shy. The you know the spice. It's it's all beautiful. Thank oh. you. I appreciate that. Forward. Delicious. Okay. Uh, ask Terry your question, and he's going to take it from there. So I'm a huge Top Chef fan, and I just got the new uh, Larousse. And uh, on Top Chef, they a couple contestants have tried to make Ballantines, and it looked like it was mostly just skin. And so I went online. I watched the Jacques Pepin video. Which, I mean, he's a master. I think you can Valentine a chicken in three minutes. Right. And so, first off, the question was, is it worth the effort to do? 
And then what are some tips and tricks? So I tried it with Cornish game hens. It was a uh, that's dismal a bit... failure. <laughs> They're a little yeah. small. Yeah, a little bit small. So, you, you know, it's like if you're trying to make a ballotine with quail, you need some expertise. Sure. If you're trying to do a, a ballotine, first of all, what is a ballotine? A ballotine is usually a butterfly chicken. Let's, let's use chicken as an example. Butterfly chicken takes some of the loins out of the meat. Uh, once you've opened up the whole uh, meat and skin, take some of the loins out. You grind that, make that into what's called a farce. Sure. And then you can stuff that with mushroom or vegetables or whatever you want. The truffles is a great combination to go with that. We need to go back one step further. You kind of started in the middle. Yes. So you have to bone out your chicken. You have to bone out your chicken or have your butcher bone it out. Right. That's where you start. Okay. And you, you bone it out in a fashion where it's one piece, not... Like you don't wipe the yeah, chicken in half. You start at the backbone, right? Correct. Yeah. You start from the backbone and you basically go against the bone cage and then undo the meat that way with mm-hmm. the skin on. What you're trying to create is an envelope so that inside you can stuff the chicken, basically the chicken, the thin chicken meat and the um, skin. You want to envelope that with the stuffing inside. So the stuffing can be many different things, but usually you start with some of the meat then you've blended with, for example, you can add creme fraiche to that, and you can add, um, like I said, mushroom that have been pre-sauté, so you don't want to add moisture to the dish. Mm. You put the whole thing together, and then you roll this super, super tight, and then you wrap it up in plastic wrap or in a towel, one of the two. Uh, in the old days, they didn't have plastic wrap, so today we have plastic wrap, so it's easier. You can see what you're doing. Tie it up super tight, and then you poach it. Okay, can we stop there for one second? Sure. So, going back, you've boned it out. You've got it now flat, butterfly on your counter. Yeah. You've made a force meat, which looks like bulk sausage, right? Correct, so correct. So, you've taken some of the meats, that maybe the yeah. leg meat or thigh meat. You've ground it. You've made seasoned it with the mushrooms, like you said. Right. Now, you've got a sausage. Now, you're going to spread that into the center of your butterfly chicken. Correct. Right? And right. then... Now you're going to roll the chicken so that the skin's all on the outside. Correct. Correct. The skin is on the outside. And it becomes like a log, almost like a, it looks like a salami, but Correct. it's a chicken. Correct. Okay. And, and then you wrap it and poach it, right? Then you poach it, so you can use the bones and you've already, you know, you, you can do these steps in two different steps and then use the carcass bone to make a stock and use that stock to poach your chicken in because you're having some flavor and also... You, want, you don't want to poach just in water, just in case, you know, the flavor would be diminished. So you put that, uh, like a torchon kind of idea. So I like to do it in a, in a torchon idea because it's really, um, the, the flavor of the stock actually goes into the chicken. Then you take, when it's cooked, you take that out. You don't boil it. You just bring the stock to a boil. You, you stop the stock. You pour in your torchon in there, and you let it sit, submerge into that stock. Once it's about 30 minutes later, it's going to be cooked because it cooks pretty fast because it's hot. Then you take it out, and then you let it sit overnight in the fridge. You retighten your towel because it's going to expand so undiminished actually in size. So you want to retighten the whole thing, and then you keep it in the refrigerator to cool off. The next day, you open up that towel. So now you imagine that that's kind of like roll of chicken that's cold, and then you bring it into a pan with a little bit of brown butter, and then this is what I do. <laughs> this is what I do with it. And then you brown your outside of your chicken skin that's been poached. I like that better because to me the 
skin tastes a lot better when it's crispy sure. and uh, brown buttered. And then you take that on the side and cool it off. Then you make slices in balotin. It's normally, in the old days, it was presented on a big, big uh, what we call a torpille, which is a giant platter with lettuce on the bottom or, or jelly on the bottom. Or bechamel. Say, aspic on it. Yeah, yeah, like aspic. And they would put aspic on top, which is basically a gelatin of uh, a chicken stock cleared. And they would put that on top and present that in a buffet. So you'd walk through the buffet and take a cold cut of a roast poached chicken, basically. Cold. Cold. Cold, yes. Yeah. And then if you want to do it in a Ballantine, um, in a Galantine style, I would say then you can do it sealed like I was doing and then serve it hot. So you have two ways you can go from, but the actual ballotin is a cold, rolled chicken stuffed with whatever you want to put in there, but fast. Is it worth the effort? It is absolutely, anything of that nature is worth to try, especially like somebody like you who's curious in the kitchen, you should definitely do definitely it and try it. And you should come back and tell us how well you did and take some pictures and all that and we make you famous for... A little trick, <laughs> a little trick I would tell you right away is to just, just to make it a little bit more fun is once you get your sausage meat on, your spread out chicken... Um, macerate some prunes in Armagnac yeah. or something like that. A nice little dried fruit in Yum. the center. So now you've got the, the fruit center, the force meat, and then the whole chicken all the way around it. And it makes a beautiful, when you're slicing it, it just adds a little color. And oh, if you really want to make it like crazy, you go and get a piece of foie gras, you sear it, you cool it off, you dice it, oh, yeah. and then you put it right on top of your force and you roll the whole thing up. And Most- I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm the opposite of him when it comes to this fancy kind of food. Right. But it's definitely worth doing. Yeah, try it once. We want to call you Bob, the King of Ballantine. Bob Ballantine, King of, <laughs> of Everett. Bob Schnackel, thank you for joining us here today. And thanks again thank you. for thank your, you guys your so version much. of guacamole. I really appreciate it. You're right. <laughs> the focus of Cook's Illustrated is their wonderful drawings. Is the book still relevant, though, in all this age of Internet recipes? We're going to find out when we come back on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. Hello and welcome back. I hope you're having a good time listening to the Hot Stove Society Radio Show here on Cairo. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. And our producer, Pamela, is always putting together some interesting thoughts for each of our segments. Uh, Pam, you uh, obviously were went down the rabbit hole that is Cook's Illustrated. I did. <laughs> and, you know, as I was just going through the airport uh, to Hawaii and back, and you realize the magazine section of all the newsstands is just devastated with uh, internet Shrinking. activity uh, just trending away but there is a beautiful magazine that's uh, been in our world for many years called cooks illustrated this one has gorgeous uh, bok choy on the front and a little drawings of vietnamese herbs on the back there has to be a place for a magazine like this left in our life doesn't there absolutely that's why i picked it up because you know we're always nannering on about the new york times and food 52 and not giving enough attention to how much cooks illustrated helped educate home cooks right, right. in the, you know it's changed hands since when christopher kimball started it but uh, their work continues, and they are yeah. elevating it with the must-have QR code so you can go behind the scene and go even deeper into every subject. Every yeah. recipe has a QR code that takes is, you to a spectacular video. It is captivating when you, when you start reading a recipe in Cook's. It's always fun because they take you step by step. Mm-hmm. 
with a drawing. I'm like, it's so simple. It's very one on one, but it's easy to follow and it gives you all kind of insight into the, the recipe, which is really cool. You can do that with just writing. It's very hard. And, well, it's, and it's probably the collection of magazine, Cook's Magazine, that I have the most in my house. That you've saved. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, and, and I don't go back to it, unfortunately, like, like anything we save. I don't go back to it as often as I want to. But it is just a, it's hard to throw away this magazine. It's like you can't. It's like, it's Well, the useful. only way to keep them around is if you pay for a subscription at some point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah that's, of course. That's how they make their living and. Uh, this one, uh, I believe Cooks never did have ads, if I am not mistaken. It was all food all the time. And it's it's interesting, like like we love having Kenji Lopez-Alt on the show because he's very scientific about his approach mm-hmm. and he has reasons. Like when he says you can cook from frozen, it's like, no way. And then you say, and then he just thoroughly explains the reasons why that's possible. In here, in this particular in-depth article, it was the starchy secrets to cooking potatoes. How the starch content affects the cooked texture, even suggesting a thermometer and all sorts of ways. Things that you don't really normally think about. But if right. you're a food person and you want to know the whys. The and science. The science. Or like you and I, Terry, uh, we, we come from our cooking backgrounds very differently. You're classically trained. I'm seat of the pants trained. Or I like to say I've learned, I learned something from every cook I've ever worked with. Right. That's just another way of getting trained. But... I don't necessarily know the whys, the scientific whys. And that's what magazines like Cook's Illustrated really I know. I wonder if Kenji took some of his uh, science approach from the Um, early days of Cook's Illustrated. Yeah, I'm sure sure that is a few. He used to work with. No, I didn't. With Christopher Kimball? Yeah. Yeah. What was the... The kitchen... The kitchen... American kitchen? Yeah, American American test kitchen. Test Test kitchen, kitchen. yeah. Because that's who they're affiliated with now. Right, right. Let's go on a field trip to their Boston headquarters. It says they've got a 15,000-square-foot test kitchen. We could have a party there. We could have a party. Exactly. <laughs> we could do a few shows from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, this particular month, uh, this is March, April. It's every other month, uh, 2022. Roasted chicken wings, forget the frying. Uh, Alu parathas, spiced potatoes, buttery bread. Super interesting. The best homemade yogurt. Of simple fried rice, patisserie level tart shells. Again, where do you find a thing that just focuses on a tart shell? Right. And you can use that with a dozen recipes, or you know, twenty recipes. Great subject because most people are afraid of the crust, so <laughs> it's yep. a great subject to tag along. And and I'm sure you would just reading that you would get an insight into how to easily get to the crust. Right. And then uh, as simple as uh, shrimp. Like how do you how do you bake or broil shrimp? Right. These are the kind of questions that when we look at our email feed for the radio show, it's the kind of questions that kind of come in sometimes. Right. They're not all Bob's questions, like, <laughs> how do you make chicken valentine? Is it worthwhile? Yeah. But um, I, I, I watch my daughter search around for the perfect yogurt for uh, Hercules, uh, my grandson. and You mean Rory? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> On company property, he's Hercules. Uh, anyway, it's like, why not just make your own, right? Yeah. It's, it's very yeah. simple. It's like yeah. making creme fraiche almost. It's very simple. So uh, then you can buy the best milk and just make your own yogurt. Right. And that's the, that's the key. Source the good milk. Yeah. Because that's the other part of making a good yogurt is find a farmer that can give you some nice raw milk and then you get the best yogurt. So should I get her a yogurt maker? Is she going to start making yogurt? You should get her a 
subscription for her birthday. It's coming up the 3rd of March. To yogurt? To Cook's Illustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yogurt Illustrated. <laughs> I think it's a fun present. Of course. It's like giving an art piece because of the drawing. Chef Annie Elmore is a subscriber. That makes me really proud of her. There you go. When I, uh, for my wife's last birthday, there was an artist that has a subscription service, and she does a three-by-five-inch painting every other month. No, every month. Every month she does a three-by-five painting, and I bought the subscription for Christmas, I think it was, for Jackie. And you, in the mail, you get a little painting every month nice. from this artist, and it's really fun. It's $199 for the year. Wow, that's not expensive. No, and it's just a simple little drawing that she does or, or painting on, with watercolor, and uh, it is really a refreshing way to spend, you know, to go to the mailbox and see it and sure. look forward to it. That's the way I feel about Cook's Illustrated from all the illustrations. It's like getting a little piece of art in the mail every yeah, other month. And it's month. definitely incentivizing uh, to just read this, this magazine. I mean, just the back picture. Look at the back of the magazine. It's all drawing of nice fresh herbs. Yeah, Vietnamese herbs. I mean, it's beautiful. I think you want the um, other piece that's important is how much testing they do on kitchen equipment. Right. Um, there's always a set section on smart ovens or rice cookers and coffee maker. Uh, I've seen yeah. all kinds of different things. Yes. So over it's, the years. it's really helpful to have somebody that's taken the time to look through all of those. And they've always been non-commercial in that way. So you yeah. can trust if they're saying you should get a KitchenAid mixer or a Cuisinart food processor right. or whatever the appliance they're talking about, uh, you can be, be assured that it's not because those companies paid them to say it. Correct. Right? Right. Do you have another food magazine that you look towards? Uh, over the years, I mean, I was devastated when Gourmet went out of business, right? Totally. Because so, I love the travel side of that food magazine. Yeah. Uh, that was always fun, too. <laughs> Tina, before you, one of our producers before you, always uh, worked out of Bon Appetit. That was one of her favorites. It still is tremendous, I think. They've got a, a, a jaunty, uh, colorful approach. It's... I'm leaning more towards that than food and wine. Right. And you would Savor, think I would be. What happened to Savor? Oh. It just kind of went sideways a little bit. It was leading the way. Yes. And the, the last issue I bought, remember they always did the year-end roundup, top 100 food things. It was like, I think you've lost your direction. Oh, really? That's too bad. That's too bad. But you're right. I haven't read Savor in quite some time. Huh. All right, uh, we're going to talk quick pickling when we come back here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society show with the chef and the chapeau, and yours truly, Tom Douglas. If you're looking to put a little winter brightness on your plate, let's talk about quick pickling right here in the Hot Stove Society kitchen in Cairo, downtown Seattle. Uh, chef in the Chapeau and Tom Douglas. Uh, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, but you have to make something to put a quick pickle on first, right? Correct. Because you want a quick pickle, generally, in my mind, is a brightener. Right. It is something that um, can enhance a meal. So let's think of a good winter meal that would work that way. And I w- I'm going to do the low ball, you do the high ball. Okay, what's right. I mean, your low ball and high ball? I'm going to go the low bar, you're going to go the high bar. Okay. Okay, so low bar would be meatloaf, let's just say, right? Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. You're doing a big kind of loaf of meat. It's very, very simple. It's very plain. But it's often, once you have one or two bites of the meatloaf, 
the rest of the meatloaf tastes exactly the same, and it's not necessarily all that exciting. Whereas when you put a quick pickle on top of that, or serve it with a quick pickle, or with some tangy mustard, or you know uh, some enhancer, sure. you're taking the meatloaf out of the doldrums, and you are just perking up the flavor like nobody's business. Like Bob's guacamole that had so much lime juice in it, right? Sure. So quick pickle can be the same. Right. And you can do it with all sorts of ingredients. And the pickle juice can be used for dressing, which is something not to forget. For dressing or for brining uh, fried chicken for the next day. Let's say you have a, you've made your meatloaf, you've used your quick pickle, take that brine and put your chicken into it. And it is the delicious way to go Absolutely. for the next day. So, uh, for me, a pickled, uh, I mean, a, a meatloaf going to come with mashed potatoes, maybe a little gravy. Uh, it might be wrapped in bacon. It's got a lot of fat going on because it's made out of ground beef, which is at minimum 20% fat. Correct. Sometimes up to 30, 34%, depending on the hamburger. That's that going to bleed a lot. Uh, so, it's, it's heavy. The mashed potatoes are full of butter and gravy. For a quick pickle for that, I'm probably going maybe a cauliflower. Okay. Maybe because it's going to have crunch. It doesn't have the color that I want, though. So I'm going to make a vinegar with turmeric, mm. right, and coriander seed. Little trick of the trade right there. Right, oh, little, now it's yellow. <laughs> now it's yellow, right? Coriander seed, turmeric, clove, maybe a little allspice. And I'm going to do the three, two, one method, which is... Three water, two sugar, one vinegar, one vinegar, and I'm going to take that, uh, put it on the stove. That'll get bright yellow. Sure. I'm going to pour it over my cauliflower, little florets, and then uh, I'm going to let it pickle for a day so that it's ready for my meatloaf tomorrow. Nice. I really thought you were going to go where I wanted to go, which is red cabbage. I was going to well, do. Well, that works too. So you've got the high bar now. I'm going to stay on the low side of things. I'm going to do celery root because I'm. It's in season. It's towards the end of the season. It's, this is the best time of the year to eat celery root. It's getting towards the end of the season. So. Oh, I know what I would serve with that. Me too. Beautiful seared sea scallops. Uh, that's I not where do. I was going. Uh, I was going saddle of venison. Oh, yeah, that too. That would work too. Yeah, I was trying to stay away from the meat because you did the meat. So. Ah. The other one I was thinking is a very lightly smoked salmon. You know, you take a piece of salmon, lightly smoked, meaning that... You don't, you're not trying to cook the salmon. You're trying to just give it a small enhancing of smoke. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, you take the salmon and you bake it. So you cook it all the way that way. But on a bed of um, pickled ca- red cabbage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with that, you could do a caramelized onion mixed into that. So you have the sweet, sour kind of idea. Or sweet and um, acid kind of idea combination. Then put, that, you put your salmon with that, either shredded as a salad or just as a piece, as an entree. It would be delicious. I would have that. Some, little, gonna... some new potato, blanched, cracked, nugget of butter right on top of that, mm-hmm. mixed with the whole thing. What are you going to put in your pickling liquid for your cabbage? For my cabbage, I'm going to do um, cumin. That would be number one. Coriander. Um, rice vinegar. Actually, for this, I would use red wine vinegar and uh, sugar and water and bay leaf. A few bay leaf to give it that nice rustic kind of depth. And then bring that to a boil, cook it for about three, four minutes. Move away the seeds, put in the cabbage, let it go for about five minutes out of the heat. And then 
take them out and because it doesn't take very long to get through so take them out and then let them cool off and then you have this beautiful uh, cold cabbage that's been um, brined now when you're making a quick pickle depending on the tartness you want out of your pickle in my mind you adjust your water side correct, of things right correct. so if you're making a quick pickled cucumber say which is full of water right then you, you might not even use any water. You might just heat your vinegar and your sugar Correct. and your spices and pour right. that over top because right. the cucumber is going to offer the, the moisture that you're looking for. 90% Something of it. harder like a daikon radish or a celery root is not going to give you as much Correct. Uh, moisture back. And so you have to go ahead and, and add a little bit of uh, water right. to it. And also the longer you brine, the, the, you, know, you have to be careful about if you're putting just vinegar and sugar together and then you brine in that, you don't want to leave that in there for three weeks because that's going to decompose because it's, it's going to be so your, strong yeah, yeah it's going to cook your food right what about uh, like cherry tomatoes have you ever tried quick pickling cherry tomatoes and how does it work through that you know the little tough skin that would be a a quick i would not do it whole because it's because it it won't get through the skin no and no. by the time especially a cherry tomato has got a fairly thick skin mm-hmm. so i wouldn't do it like this i would probably cut them in half shake the seeds out and then dump them into the brine for about five minutes and not hot, cold, cold brine for about five, ten minutes. Because a tomato is a very, obviously, absorbent from the inside. It's very absorbent. The meat is water again, back to mm-hmm. water. So I would just put it in there for about 10, 15 minutes and then take them out. And you'll have that flavor impregnated onto the meat of the tomato right away. So, uh, so often when you go to uh, like a store like Wajamaya where they've got a whole kind of Asian pickled section... There, uh, many of the pickled things that you see there are full of food coloring. Right. And so uh, it is fun to kind of figure out where you can do natural coloring, whether you're using a little bit of beet juice or right. you're using turmeric or uh, you're using natural colorants to make you can your use, pickles you, more beautiful. Yeah, you can use smoked peppers, uh, powder, and that, that would color your, your, your vegetable really dark red. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's many ways. Beet juice is definitely a good one. Um, celery juice can be a green one. Beetle juice. <laughs> beetle juice. <laughs> There's a lot of coloring that comes from beetles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you went beet all juice. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so there is definitely many different ways to get color. And obviously, uh, turmeric is definitely the cheat sheet in the yellow color. But yeah, I think it's definitely easy to make that. That coloring idea is not complicated to do. Um, it's not necessary. Especially if you're in a hurry, you know, if you have a brine in your refrigerator that's clear, I think it's fine. Right. The other thing is if you're in a hurry uh, and you want, say, pickled carrots, right, it's not the time to make a big, thick slice of carrot. Right? I know. Put your carrots on a mandolin or cut matchstick-sized carrots. Yeah. Now you can take what would normally be a 30 to minutes to an hour pickle, and you can do it in five, five to ten minutes. minutes. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, adjust the size of what you're pickling right. the faster that you want it pickled. Right. Same as when you want a piece of meat to cook faster, you just make it thinner. So it doesn't take an hour to cook. Instead, it takes 20 minutes. You know, it's the same, same kind of complex, um, idea. Uh-huh. But it's, it's very cool to... I think most people should have, by now, who likes to cook, should have a brine pot in the refrigerator ready to go because it's such an easy product to use you know and a brine pot i don't have a brine pot well the leftover brine that you've used yesterday i have a container in my refrigerator and i like to cook i'm sorry yes so a brine pot what do you do with the brine when you're done with your vegetable 
I throw it away. <laughs> oh my God. Well, you've never been, uh, oh my God, why? Well, number one, it's used and it's got daikon radish juice in it or it's you got... You strain it and you bring it to a boil, you're done. You start back from scratch. Yeah, I don't do that. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. I have that in my fridge, so like this, if I want some, I just uh, poof. Kathy, is that true? So you have a brine pot? <laughs> yeah, she can. Um, I'm calling out your, your... You can ask her if it's true. I just did. She shook her head. I'm not sure which way she shook it. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's an easy one. You just keep it and you can use it for a few times. Obviously, you know, it's don't keep change it. change flavor, right? If this time you used it with cumin and coriander, the next time... Obviously, if, if I'm using one with turmeric, it's much more limiting, which is why I'm, I was talking about the clear one. Water, sugar, vinegar, basic, just like that. Mm. And you use that and keep that as a base in your refrigerator. So you have a quart in the refrigerator. So when you want some, you just add the spice you want for the purpose of what you're doing. And can't you just do that each time? Is that so difficult? Well, it's, it could be difficult. I'm just most importantly don't want to throw it away. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my... I'm just going to continue my process. Here we go. Because sometimes <laughs> I like to use fish sauce in my, in my brown. Mm. That, to me, is the umami quality that yes. people don't realize what's going on there. Tricky. This, tricky, this, tricky. Yeah. Uh, it's time for our everyone's favorite Rub With Love Tasty Trivia. When we come back here on the Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. It's time for Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge. Rub With Love is a family of spice blends, uh, tangy sauces, and a perfect mustard. Keep them in your pantry to dress up any meal to look good for all of your guests. Uh, you can find them in local grocery stores and specialty shops, or you can find them at Tom Douglas Online. Uh, Gemini Fish in Isquah, thank you for carrying them. Don and Joe's in the Pike Place Market uh, Meat Shop, QFC, Metropolitan Markets, the town and country markets, they're, they're all over the place, and we appreciate their support. Uh, Terry, you've got a little something-something coming up. Yeah, I'm doing a trip through the Rhone Valley in, um, from May 29 to June 5th, and uh, three winemakers are coming along, Kerry Shield from uh, Cote Bonneville. I have, um, who else, Jeff Lindsay Thorson from WT Ventner and uh, Master Sommelier Larry Stone. And uh, from Lingua Franca in Oregon. So all four of us are going to be uh, entertaining uh, everybody on the, on the boat. How do people from, find out about from it? From Lyon to Arles. Uh, go to northwesttravel.com. There are a couple of cabins that have become available because of COVID. So if you have ever dreamed to be roaming through the Loire, uh, through the Rhone Valley, um, this is the time to do it. So northwesttravel.com. Okay. Pamela, uh, will you tell folks uh, how to play our game today and what the prize is and who's going to win it? Well, I've got some really interesting food questions this week, a little on the easy side. Okay. And each contestant's going to get uh, five questions. Uh, the prize today uh, is two of my favorites of our spice rubs, the Chinese 12 Spice and the Spicy Tokyo. So a very lucky winner that I hope is in this room somewhere. Mm. <laughs> And, right. uh, and the loser delivers. <laughs> <And the laughs> must make the very difficult delivery. And who's the, who's the fresh meat that we have in the opposing chair? <laughs> Glenn, please introduce yourself to the, our audience. Yeah, I'm Glenn Quintino, and i um, here to play some trivia. 
There you go. Yeah, I live in Seattle. We're so lucky. This is, this is the guy who volunteered and I said, what is it? What is it? <laughs> I love your spirit. It's fantastic. Know, that's right. very nice. You ask the question after you volunteer. Glenn, watch like how that. Terry does this and then you'll see how it how it. Yeah, goes. Terry goes first. All right, let's go. Number one, what does the French term agrodolce refer to? That's not French. That's actually Italian. But it means, it means sweet and sour. <laughs> just, just want to make sure that we know it's not French. Agridolce oh, is Italian. From... All right, winner. Sorry. <laughs> she has no idea if that's correct or not. I know. She's, she's I taken in France, in food France, lover's encyclopedia. Let me, let me tell you the word in French. Agredou, which is agre, which is, you know, anyway. Yeah. Number two. What is the aperitif Bellini, originally from Harry's Bar in Venice, made from? Champagne. And? Actually, Prosecco, sorry, not champagne, because we're in Italy. And, ooh, I don't know what else goes in there. Ooh. Peach. Yes, you do know. Wow. I do know. That's correct. Wow. <laughs> Seems to be a little help from the audience coming through. Number three, how much milk is in a cafe macchiato? Uh, I would say none. It's a dollop of foam. Thank you. You're welcome. Name so some... is that a no or a yes? Did I win? Yes. No. <laughs> that's, that's milk. <laughs> I guess she goes, no, you didn't win. Uh, name some ingredients in the North African sauce, chermoula. Uh, parsley, coriander, and cumin. There's usually one signature forward ingredient. Those are all correct, though. Yeah, yeah. Arisa? Coriander. coriander. I did say coriander. Cumin. Oh, I said cumin. Sorry. Um, so it's another, we're giving you another that wrong one. one. <laughs> Number five and final. Please describe moussaka. Eggplant. Yes. Tomato. Yes. Cheese. More specifically, <laughs> cheese doesn't qualify. Feta. <laughs> what do you want me to say? The form of it. She wants you to say lasagna, like a layer. Oh, yeah, like it's a dish that's baked. It's layered and baked. How's that? And uh, the cheese usually in a bechamel form. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. Point five. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'll make it for you. For you, I can do it. Glenn, so yes. excited to have you. Uh, one of Italy's greatest gifts to the world is Zabaio- the dessert Zabayon. Um, it's considered ethereal. What are, name at least one of the ingredients in Zabayon. <laughs> Where's the book that we had today? I know. Hold on. Cream. No. <laughs> That's not it, one of them. No. You know, the, book, the book is right behind you. It's got the main ingredient in it. Eggs. Hey, hey, <laughs> correct. <laughs> Number two. I told you you got to cheat. Okay. Uh, what is Zinfandel? That's wine. Yes. A red wine grape. True or false? Turmeric is related to ginger. I'd say true. Yes, you are nailing this. Um, what is the name for the FDA-approved nonstick sheet used for baking? Usually lines the baking Ooh, that's sheet. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one if you don't bake. Yeah, don't don't focus on that part. But think your about window also so- has one screen. <laughs> a sill, a silpat. 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 Oh, oh silpat. I see it. Okay. Nice. In culinary terms, what does it mean to reconstitute? It means to reconstitute. 
yeah. make something constitutional. <laughs> That's awesome. He's a political culinarian. <laughs> something to do with the Constitution, right? Yes. That's awesome. We're going to have a political segment of the show going forward. Uh, returning a dehydrated fruit to its original consistency by adding liquid. Yes. But I like your answer, yeah. too. I like four the out consti- of five. I like the All Constitution. Right, four out of five. Nice job, Glenn. Uh, hi, Mr. Douglas. Hello. True or false? Purslane is a native succulent of India that has become popular as a salad green in America because of its nutritional con- content. I would say it's more popular as a weed that grows in your sidewalk grass. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, true. It is true. Um, please describe a Parker House role. Well, Parker House was originally in Chicago, I believe. Uh, and Boston, but close. Boston. <laughs> and it's just a little white milk bread uh, kind of roll. Can you tell us anything about its shape? It's round and it's delicious, <laughs> and especially it, uh, when it comes right out of the oven. This is point two five. Okay. <laughs> it, it has a signature center crease. Yeah, in a round mall. Yeah, like a clover. <laughs> okay, point I, I five. Like goes, yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> what are the three flavors in um, Neapolitan ice cream, and what is the shape that you commonly find it in? kind of a loaf pan shape and the three flavors are chocolate mm-hmm. strawberry and good old-fashioned vanilla yay uh number four tuna is a member of the mackerel family and there are many members uh name some of the other members of this family well there's mackerel <laughs> <laughs> That's There's good. Norwegian yeah. mackerel. There's uh, Saba. ahi tuna. Yep. Albacore tuna. You are on the right yeah. track. There's all sorts of skipjack jack tuna. That skipjack. Was, yeah. Nailing it. And finally, is scarmoza a bread variety or a cheese? It is a typically smoked mozzarella style cheese. It often comes on hot platters, bubbling deliciously to your table. Oh, yeah. Good crusty Good bread. Who's our winner and who's our loser? So I think by the point two five you gave Tom on the second question, <laughs> he's actually the winner today. Oh, and he and has Glenn's to... got four very well given points three to my account, but and so I guess I'm the loser today. <laughs> okay, would you walk points. over and hand Glenn that? Yes, I will deliver Wait, that. I will deliver that. that. Faster than Amazon. If you want to be part of the show, you can join our community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Uh, You can also email us or any of the above. Uh, You're listening to us on Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Dogkomi Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous President's Day weekend.